Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit TobinBrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome once again to the show, powered by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well today, we're lucky enough to have the company of an internationally acclaimed rugby icon. David Campisi earned 101 caps for the Wallabies and scored 64 test tries in a highlight heavy career spanning 14 years. Breathtaking acceleration, a wicked sidestep. Campisi is rugby's father of the goose step, his trademark move that bamboozled rivals. So if, as they say, rugby's the game they play in heaven, then the man known as Campo is manning the gates. David, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Mate, thank you very much. That's very kind, very kind words of you. It's unusual from someone down your part of the world. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Oh, it's actually really good to talk to you, David. Uh, what is it? Uh, barely a week or so after Australia was confirmed as the host of the Men's 2027 Rugby World Cup and, of course, the women in 2029 as well. It's an exciting time for the sport. Yeah, it's uh, about time. We had some good news, I suppose. It's been pretty um, bare over the last couple of years. Obviously, we've had a few off-field problems and uh, it's great to see that the uh, international board in their wisdom you know after a, a couple of years have decided to give to Australia which were the only ones who were going for it. So how strongly did the game need it? I mean what state was the game in in this country and not only at the top level David but all the way down to the grassroots? Yeah look it's hard to to actually pinpoint where where things went wrong. Um, I believe uh, I brought out a book in 91 called On the Wing and a Prayer and in 2003 and in those two books, I actually said, if we go professional, we will go broke. Um, but I'm a winger, mate, so no one listens to wingers. We just score tries and that's all. Um, but I think the, the problem is being in Australia, you know, we're very fortunate. We've got a lot of codes. You've got, uh, obviously, Rugby Union. You've got uh, Aussie Rules. You've got Rugby League. You've got football. You've got netball. You've got all these other sports that are, uh, are, very, are buying for a, a very small population of people. Mm. And um, I think in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, I think rugby sort of dominated internationally because of the World Cup in 91, uh, again 99, uh, holding the World Cup here in rugby in 2003. And then after that, it wasn't really that good. So obviously 2015, we did make the final of the World Cup in England. But again, we didn't really uh, bring the, the, uh, the, the cup home. But I think it's over time of very, very competitive sports uh, a lot of money. Aussie rules um, obviously dominate because they don't have to travel anywhere except inside Australia. Uh, they're not really international sports. I mean, obviously, I'm talking about the military to me a hard time, but 
you know, I've, I've been very fortunate in my life. You know, I lived in Italy playing rugby. I uh, went to South Africa, lived there for 10 years. My wife's Zimbabwean. Uh, so rugby is a, an international sport where you can go anywhere in the world and play. Now we've got sevens. You know, the women were the 2016 uh, Olympic Games in Brazil. In, uh, Brazil. Uh, they won the gold medal. So, you know, we've got a, a very, very uh, opportunity for a lot of girls and boys now to play in international sport. And you can travel anywhere in the world. But again, if you haven't got the the rights on TV, uh, free to wear, where obviously a lot of Australians do watch, we, we did struggle. And I think that's been part of our problem for many years now. I mentioned the goose step earlier. Have you still got one in you? Oh, yeah, I try every now and then, mate. It's very slow, slow motion. <laughs> uh, but I just say, go look, go on, go on to YouTube. There's a lot of lot of people that have uh, tried to emulate, emulate it. But, uh, obviously, yep. there's a lot of videos there, yeah. It would obviously become your trademark, but how did that come to be? Well, uh, I think I, was, I played rugby league most of my life. Uh, from Queen Bean, it was a rugby league area, and uh, I played league from 8 to 16. Uh, I think it was, it was about 8 or 9, I was down the place called Yass, which is about an hour and a half out of uh, Queen Bean. And I got the ball under my post. These two kids ran at me. I did something, scored up the other end, and these two guys had knocked themselves out. So I thought, <laughs> that obviously works. Um, but I've never practiced it at all uh, at training. Never, never used, never did any in the game. Uh, I used to use it, and obviously I didn't name the goose step. It was the journos or the commentators, so I've got nothing to do with that. But uh, yeah, I should have patented thing back then. It would be okay by now. Yeah, I mean, every kid was trying them at various points in their life growing up. Everyone remembers it, and I think Nick Far Jones once said, uh, Campo, that um, you told him that your brain never knew where your legs were going to take you. Was it was it just pure instinct on the field? Yeah, it was just one of those things that you know, when, you know, when you're on the wing as well, you know, you get the ball and off you go. Your job is to score tries. So I was probably the fittest. I, I, I was probably the hardest trainer. Um, I was very dedicated. And what I would do is I would find ways, you know, um, to get around, uh, kick right foot, kick left, played Aussie rules as a kid as well. So I could kick an Aussie, a ball properly. And, yeah, I, you just had to find something different. I didn't want to be a norm player. Uh, and, yeah, mate, it, it's true. I mean, I got the ball, and wherever my feet went, mate, I went. I just followed them. Yeah. And there's a risk of failure that comes with trying to pull off the brilliant, though, isn't there? Mate, uh, yes. Well, I'm, I'm probably known for, you know, copping all the criticism of my life. You know, as I said, I didn't want to be a normal player. I wanted to be someone special. Um, I, as I said, I worked very hard. I used to study the game. Uh, playing wing fullback in Australia, but in Italy I played number 10, which is a, a, a playmaker's role. So as a finisher, now I've become a creator. So I could read a game very, very well. I understood what the opposition were doing. And look, you know, once you know what your roles are, it makes the game a very, very, any game, very easy to play. Throws one by Eels, Far Jones, Liner. Liner steps inside, swallowed by the All Blacks. Far Jones, Campisi, David Campisi, David Campisi all the way. Great try from the leading try scorer in world rugby, David Campisi, came across and simply skated through the all-black defence. Yes, I think a brilliant piece of running from Campisi will give you a lot of confidence, but here's a secret. It's a good ball at the back, and Liner straight at the uh, at the opposition, sets the ball up, in come the Wallabies. It's always going to be a quick ball, and I think actually uh, plenty of options compared to Campisi here. He drew his men well, and he could have gone to any one of two men, but he finished it up magnificently, really. 
it's a roller coaster existence, isn't it? And you were you were obviously brilliant more often than otherwise. But was being prepared to fail uh, in your psyche was that a mentality that you uh, carried with you all the way through? Well, you know, you go out there, you don't want to fail. Yeah, it's simple. I mean, that was if I if I knew that, I would never go out there. You know, I used an example many many times of a guy called Rory Underwood, who was the English winger who I marked, and Paul Roy stood on the wing waiting for the ball. Um, never got it. And I, I said, well, if you want me to be like that, I can do that. But, gee, I'll tell you, it would have been boring. So I realised that the only way to achieve things is by working hard, backing yourself. But if you haven't got the skills or the confidence, um, it makes it very, very different. To, very difficult to do that. And as I said, by playing a different role in, South, in Italy as a number 10, now I, could, I just thought it was easy. You know, um, I'll give you a quick... Uh, a quick story about a test match. In 93, we played South Africa in, in the Sydney Crick Round. Um, and I noticed the first two tests uh, that down the blind, the old days, the old 10-metre kickoff, the forwards would get the ball, we'd come 15 metres inside the field. Uh, their, number, their winger was like 20 metres back. They'd stick the hooker down the blind. So in this test, we kicked the goal. They came back and kicked off. And I spoke to Nick Farr-Jones, who, who was a great mate of mine. We played many tests together. And uh, I said, listen, I'll call Leaguey as a call when the, only the hook is down the blind. So I called this. Nick looked, nodded his head, came down the blind, took the hook out, gave it to me. I ran 20 metres, passed to uh, Tim Gavin, took the ball up. Phil Coons took the ball up again. I went into number 12, off number 10, got the ball, got the ball, passed to Tim Horgan, scored in the corner. That's international rugby. How easy is that? Mm. Yeah, well, you made it look easy many times over. Just the mental side of the game, um, David, the, the battle of wills, if you like. Did, did you enjoy that side of it? No, definitely. I mean, you, you're always up against, you know, I played against the All Blacks uh, 29 times. I think I won eight. Yeah. And that's, believe it, that's a good record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some of the guys have never won. But you, you're always up against the, the best week in, week out. So it gives you something to aim for, you know, and... I think in the 91 World Cup, it was probably the only time I realised we would beat the All Blacks, and we did in the, in the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup. Um, but, you know, it's all that. You've got to play the best to be the best. It's no good playing the, the lesser teams and, and winning. So we are really good. You've really got to, you know, push that uh, the envelope. And uh, playing the All Blacks, you know, then South Africa came in. You know, when you've got these teams who are really rugby countries, you know, that's when you really, because there's so much tradition, so much culture, that's when you pin yourself against, you know. As I said, a lot of the guys who I played with in Australia came through a rugby league background. Um, and back in those days, because it was amateur, um, you know, we, we actually enjoyed the touring. Uh, 84 Grand Slam, we had 18 games. We played every, you know, uh, Wednesday, Saturday for 18 games. We were getting 20 quid a day. But for me, it was an opportunity to see the world and education. And that's what rugby does. Yeah. So just on that now, looking back on it all, how what what comes to mind with fondness? Is it just purely the thrill of the competition, that adrenaline rush of you know crossing for a try? Is it is it the World Cups, the Bledisloe Cups? Uh, is it is it travelling the world and living in places like Italy for extended periods? You know what what comes to mind now, Campo? Well, I just think everything. I, I think that uh, I was given a bit of advice when I first started. Someone said, if somebody asks you to go somewhere, just go. Yeah. Don't say no, because 20 years later, you've got to go, jeez, I should have gone. So that was my way of life. Somebody asked me to go to Italy. I said, okay, I'll go. Uh, very fortunate, obviously, to play for Australia for so long. Um, and the touring was unbelievable. You know, you, you go to Shakespeare House in England, or you go and watch Craig Johnson, the soccer player, 
um, in for playing for Liverpool in 1984. You'd go to the theatre, you go to Rome, uh, you know, you go to coliseums, and you know, it, it's basically a history tour of rugby. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I just think it was very, I was very fortunate, and I wanted to do it as well. Um, so that that really helped. And as I said, my dad's Italian, so I went to go and see the town he was born in. Um, when I went to school there, the people, the relatives. I mean, you know, it's amazing the opportunities you get to, to play this international sport. You're listening to This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We're about to go back to the 60s and the streets of Queanbeyan, which were roamed by a sports-mad kid named David Campisi. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting to Australian Rugby Union Hall of Famer David Campisi. So, David, your father, Gian Antonio, or Tony, moves to Australia in the 50s. I think he was yep. uh, from outside uh, Vicenza or Venice. We need yes. to educate us here. We needed tradies back in the day, didn't we? And and he was a very good one. Yeah, that was the time where I think the Australian government realised to, to rebuild Australia, we needed some tradesmen. And Dad came out. Um, he arrived in Melbourne, couldn't speak a word of English. Uh, where where my dad eventually built his house in Queenby, and the next-door neighbour we called Uncle because he was from the same town. Uh, but my dad said the guy didn't even speak to him from Melbourne to Canberra. <laughs> uh, welcome to Australia. Um, and, yeah, he was he built the house by himself. Uh, we had four kids, uh, my brother Mario, uh, myself, uh, Lisa and Corina. And, uh, yeah, we just had a little, town, a little house. Uh, we had two bedrooms, obviously, two kids in each bedroom. And back in the days, uh, yeah, so it was, look, it was... A great way in the 60s, 70s growing up. Uh, my dad had a massive garden in the backyard and we used to go around every afternoon and selling tomatoes and vegetables to the people in the flats and the, the apartments. Yeah, that was, you know, that was part of growing up back back in the 70s. And your mum, Joan's Australian-born and obviously you're raised in Queenbeyan. So did Italian ever get spoken at all around the home, uh, David, or just the swear words from the old man? Well, what do you think? It was the swear words. We knew them very well, but, but my mother's... Uh, uh, Murphy, she's Irish, so, um, yeah, so it's not a great combination, half Italian, half Irish. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, look, we, we, um, we were just a normal, you know, dad worked as a, he's, he's a, his trade came that was a French polisher, but he ended up working for Stegbar Windows for like 30, 40 years. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it was just, mate, we roamed the streets, there was no phones, you know, black and white TV, uh, every TV uh, show was a comedy uh, not like now. <laughs> yeah, it's very different. So it was just a normal, normal country kid growing up in the in the country, mate. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So a, a typical Aussie upbringing, but not a typical um, rugby upbringing, was it? I mean, almost unheard of yours in in the sense that you you went to a local public school. You went to Queanbeyan High, I think, not a private one, which is where rugby was or, or probably still is predominantly played. Yeah, we, well, that's right. I mean, Queanbeyan High was a you know, Queanbeyan was twenty one thousand people. Uh, most of the tradies who built Canberra lived in Queanbeyan. Uh, they called a struggle town. 
And yeah, I was I played as I said, I played league most of my life. I played a couple of years of Aussie Rules, won a golf championship at fifteen. Uh, played cricket, second grade cricket, so did every, everything possible. Yep. And then uh, just uh, one day, I decided to to when I was sixteen, I think, to go and play rugby union. So in nineteen seventy nine, I played fourth grade rugby for the Queensland Whites. Uh, we won the premiership. Played first grade next year, and two years later, played for the Wallabies. So very, very, it wouldn't happen these days. Put that way. Just on the golf, I think you lived 100 metres from the local course there, and you won the 1978, yep. I think it was called the ACT Monaro Schoolboys Golf title, wasn't it? That was it, yep. So why yeah. didn't you stick, why didn't you persist with the golf? I tried to, but then I really, like, it was, um, to be a trainee manager, it just, I don't know, it, it just didn't sort of appeal yep. to me, even though playing all the sports, and, and what I've learned from that is, you know, if my kids, uh, Sienna's 17, very, very good at sport. Jason's 15, he's the same. And Mercedes is starting to get into it. And I said, guys, play every sport possible. One day, you'll decide what you want to play. So there's never been any pressure. Have to play rugby. You have to do that. Just go and enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. Because uh, what I did when I was growing up, I think was very fortunate. My parents never really took a lot of interest in sport. Of course, I had an elder brother, two younger sisters. You know, they, I used to just get a, a lift out by the bus to the sports and come home. That's a head to go. Oh, we did okay. Okay, that's it. Okay, here's dinner. Yep. So there was never any pressure like now. Oh, my goodness. Every cricket kid's got his own cricket gear. He's got personal trainers. They've got this. They've got that. They've got high performance. And I said to my son, my son Jay, I said, mate, we had nothing. <laughs> we just had to go out and play in the streets. Yeah. That's how we learned. Yeah, yeah, and and just total freedom, wasn't it? And and no pressure, as you say. So you, you're playing everything then, David. You're into your cricket, your golf, we mentioned, AFL. Just with league, what what happened? In, there was a rugby league grand final in '78. I think you're 16, and your team loses. Yep. Can you? This was a pivotal moment in in your journey. Can you take us through this grand final? Yeah, we went through the grand final, and um, we lost we lost the game, and they sort of blamed me because of my defence. I mean, that's travel. That's that's continued on for 40 years. <laughs> it was not a, It wasn't one day off. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I went to the after after match party at someone's house, and I was sitting there. I'm going. I don't need this. So I wasn't a drinker either. Uh, so I just said, I'm not playing anymore. And then went over and played fourth grade rugby. Yeah. So you went down. My, yeah. So my nephew, Terry Campisi, who played for the Raiders, um, played for New South Wales State of Origin. Mm. He played rugby for uh, the schoolboys, New South Wales schoolboys. And I went to see him in Concord over, I don't know how many years ago. And uh, they didn't pick him. And so he went the other way. I didn't pick me rugby, so we went to play league. He became successful in the league. So. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how life, the crossroad moments, isn't it? And you took yourself off the Queen Bee and Whites, like you mentioned, uh, Rugby Union Club in 79, fourth grade, as you said. Yep. And, and you're 16 or 17 years of age here, and you're playing with men, aren't you? Yep, that was the, the best academy you can ever get in any sport, is as a young kid, playing with old, older guys, um, who they can, as you go along, they'll help you play. Uh, but fourth grade, you know, 17, and all these old guys going, who the hell is this young kid at the back? So every time the ball went over their head, they didn't move because they reckon, they said this young guy will bring the ball back to them. So they had a great year. Uh, we won the premiership, uh, but it was a, a great learning, learning curve because you got the experience of these guys, and that was what I loved about it because I was so young, had no idea about rugby at all, just kept on running and running, and, uh, yeah, I was just very fortunate to to be involved with a club that had a lot of older players who actually loved playing the game and 
fourth grade's about having fun. And that's, that was, I still believe that was my best year of rugby ever. Winning World Cups, Gladys Low Cups, because I just had such a great time. It was so easy and I learned so much. Yeah, and just that word fun, isn't it? I guess how much of it comes down to just having the fun and the passion and the love for the sport? So as fans, we often see what happens out on the field, the product, if you like, the result, but not the preparation behind the scenes. So how much did you love training, love dreaming, loved having that goal to climb the mountain? Yeah, well, I didn't really have a goal. Like, I just went along and played. In yeah. fourth grade, I actually asked the coach after one game, do you need a fullback? They'd lost. I said, yeah, and that's how I started. <laughs> you know, but I was very dedicated. Uh, my fitness, I was always first in everything. Um, I could learn to kick right foot and left foot, uh, play in Aussie rules, obviously. I could, you know, torpedo better, uh, do the proper kicking. And, uh, yeah, I just I just built my skills. And I'd go over at lunchtime during work to the Oval and uh, Taylor Park, it used to be called in now, it's the David Campese Field. And I used to kick the ball around, do sprint training. I had a lot of uh, really good guys like David Grimman, who was next Wallaby. He'd, we'd go running at lunchtime, you know, five, ten Ks. So I had guys who were really willing to, you know, to help as well. So, mm. And I, it made it so much easy and so much enjoyable to, to have players like that around. Unfortunately, these days, there's not a lot of older guys who are playing fourth and third grade because of time commitment. The game is a different game, so you haven't got the knowledge anymore for these young kids to learn from. You're with This Is Your Journey, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can visit them at tobinbrothers.com.au. Next, the storied chapters of David Campisi's career, the World Cups, the Bledisloe Clubs, and all the glory. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former Wallabies try machine, David Campisi. So, David, you graduate to the ACT under-21s, then the Australian under-21s, and then the Wallabies. Now, I've made that sound very quick, but it did move quickly, didn't it? You, you took a shortcut or two. Well, it wasn't a shortcut. I just uh, said 79 was Queenbin White, fourth grade. 1980 was first grade. Uh, 81 was the ACT team. 82 was the Wallabies. So, yeah. yeah, it was... As I said, I don't think it would ever happen today. They wouldn't. I wouldn't. They wouldn't pick a skinny guy who was under eighty kilos playing playing the game these days. The way the size of these humans are these days. Yeah, and I guess when I say shortcut, I mean, did it help not being, you know, a quote unquote rugby person or someone who'd grown up in the private schoolboy system and perhaps you know not really being aware of the All Blacks or international rugby as such? You know, maybe a fact case of ignorance is bliss even. Yeah, I think that's that's part of it as well. And um, I just, I just uh, because I didn't know much about the game, um, you know, I just went up and played. I just thought another game, and I treated every game the same. Uh, in '82, when I was picked to go to New Zealand, um, I got off the plane, and uh, the journalist said, "What do you think about Mark and the great Stu Woods?" And I said, "Stu who?" <laughs> Honestly, I had no idea, which really helped. Yeah. I had no idea who these All Blacks were, but I found out bloody quickly who they were. They used to kick our backside. But that's part of, you know, now we're good mates. You know, m- most of my mates are around the world. And that's, that's what, you know, I mean, I've got South Africans, got the French, Serge Blanco, some of these great players, you know, Jonah Lomo, unfortunately, who died many, a couple of years ago. But I still keep in contact with all these guys. And that's, you know, for me, is part of rugby. That's what rugby is. It's the matemanship that you, 
that you find along the line. So, yes, it's fantastic. You mentioned the Kiwis. Can you take us to Eden Park 86? So you beat New Zealand 22-9 at the Fortress as part of a massive Bledisloe Cup triumph. You know, now this remains, David, the last time an Aussie side, unbelievably, has beaten the All Blacks at Eden Park. What is it, 36 years ago? Something like 22 games ago. Do you, is it? Am I right in saying you've got a reunion for this this one as well? Yeah, we tried to combine the reunions because for some reason, up until about, uh, oh, about you know, probably about 10 years ago, uh, no one ever talked about it. I think it was Alan Jones and uh, John Fordham decided to have a function. Uh, Rugby Australia don't seem to want to uh, remember what we used to do and how good we used to be. It's all about what happens now. Mm. And it's very, very frustrating because it was, you know, 86 was the last time the Australian team beat anybody at... Uh, you know, beat the All Blacks. It hasn't happened since. So it's very frustrating. Uh, we've got a great culture and great history, but we don't seem to want to celebrate it. You know, it's just, oh, another day. Oh, you guys won. That's great. You know, let's move on. You know, but I mean, that was the amateur era. You know, these guys are getting paid big bucks, you know, and yes, they, they lose and all that and whatever. But I mean, we, I don't understand why Australia is so much like that. The South Africans would cherish every test match they get all the players together have a captain's lunch and whatever. In Australia, you know, we can't even get a ticket out of Rugby Australia. It's very, very different here because I suppose there's so many codes. And, uh, yeah, it's just part of... That's the part I don't like when you think about schoolboy rugby. You know, it's private schools. They're all mates. But in rugby, for somehow, we don't seem to want to get to that point, you know? Yeah, yeah. There was the inaugural World Cup in 87 that was won by New Zealand and your Wallabies finished fourth. I think you ultimately called it at the time a disaster for you and for the team. But did it fuel what happened at the 91 World Cup? Obviously, the ultimate success and your name player of the tournament. Yeah, look, it was. It was, but, you know, the World Cup 87, I wrote an article last week about it saying that if it wasn't for Australia and New Zealand, it would never start it. The IRB didn't want it. And have a look at it now, yeah. you know, the amount of money they generate. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that uh, all my years I played New Zealand, as I mentioned, the only time I knew we'd beat New Zealand was the 91. Because I looked at them, we played them uh, in Sydney, we beat them 25-15, 24-15. Two weeks later, we lost 6-3. After that game, I could just see they were just about finished. Far Jones digs it out. Liner, little chip ahead. Horn's going to chase that, so's Campisi. Campisi gets it in his hands, Campisi. David Campisi dodging both ways and feeding Tim Horn. scores for Australia a marvellous try and it all came from that man David Campesi yet again and look you know I mean to win a World Cup was unbelievable it was you know it was just a mental process it's not a it's not a um, a skill or strong who's it's actually mentally you've got to turn up for six weeks and you know no game gets easier you've got to really keep on going and uh, yeah so it was unbelievable 91 then 95 was a bit disappointing I think that we probably had the same players. We're getting a bit older. Uh, we didn't really sort of... We had a couple of injuries. Um, then in 99, we've won it again. So, you know, we've been close, but we really haven't got to that next level. And uh, obviously having it in 27 uh, in Australia is going to be absolutely unbelievable. First, we've got to get through France next year. Just on 91, I think it was the All Blacks in the semi-final that you, you got the better on. Am I right in saying at this time, David, there was still no set rule, or rule's probably not the right word, but set plan as to what you did when you faced the Harker? 
Uh, that was true. I mean, as I said, uh, after the game, you know, if we lost, I would have been in a bit of trouble. <laughs> but uh, I just went out there and kicked the ball. As I said, there was no set rules what we had to do. Uh, Steve McDowell leading the hucker. Well, interestingly, Bill Calcraft, David Campisi out there at the back didn't bother to face up to that Harker. The rest of the Australian team did. Well, I'm sure David's seen it enough times. He's just doing his own thing down there. It's, a, it's all a matter for the individual preference. They probably know the words. I've seen it so many times. Um, and, yeah, it was, you know, I just decided to go out there and kick the ball around um, and just relax and, and play the game. And, you know, now it's very different. But back then, it, it was, there's no rules. You know, we've tried a few times to do different things and, you know, um, as I said, luckily we won because I didn't yeah. drop as much as much from the Kiwis as I could have. Yeah, because they're going through it, obviously, and you're off having a kick, uh, I'm not sure, another part of the field altogether. What what, what went into yeah. your thinking there? Why did you want to handle it that way? No, I just wanted to do it. Yeah. It's just one of those things. I was going to, you know, I don't want to stand around. It was cold as well. So I was more about trying to keep warm instead of sitting there watching the, the Harker, which I probably could have joined in. I've, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it 28 times, so... I probably could have joined them. <laughs> it wouldn't have looked too good. And I'm obviously not saying this was the case in this instance, but were were you a stirrer? Did you like to get under the skin of the opposition? Um, I think also there's probably you know a bit of arrogance. Um, you know when you when you play an international sport, you know you get a lot of press coverage, and sometimes you do go off with the fairies. You know you think you're better than what you are. And uh, yeah, look, I, I don't think I'd be the first one to acknowledge. You know I was a bit arrogant. Um, you know, I had a, a BMW back in the day. My number plate was number 11. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd say things which probably I shouldn't, probably couldn't say. But, you know, because I was playing well, you do get to that point. So, yeah, it was just it was just one of those things in life, mate. You know, you, you mature as you go along. And looking back now, I'll probably what I know now and how I've been treated by rugby, I probably think that uh, I better, uh, I could have changed a few things. <laughs> but, but don't you need a healthy dose of arrogance as well? Well, I think, you know, if you look at a guy like Michael Jordan, I mean, he was unbelievably talented. And you ask him a question, I'll give you an answer, and it's probably the truth. And everyone says, yes, you're arrogant. I said, well, you asked me the question. You know, and I mean, when sportsmen, you have to, you've got to be a bit arrogant. You can't, be, you can't be the best player in the world if you haven't got arrogance. You know, because you've got to go out there and back yourself. You've got to run the ball behind your own line. You know, if you just want to kick the ball out, you're not going to be the best player in the world. And uh, that's what, I think that's part of it, you know. That's, that's what drove me, you know. As a kid, you want to be the best. And one thing about rugby, which uh, compared to a lot of other sports, you are the best player in the world, not the best player in Australia. And so what, that's the big difference. Yeah, know? and not to, not to um, dwell on the point too much, David, but when you come back to current day and, and you're saying now that the treatment you get from Rugby Australia, is there a tinge of regret you think you're, you, there's an element of it that maybe you're being made to pay the price from what you might have said and done years and years earlier? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's a waste society these days and it's very, very hard to, you know, I mean... There's a lot of things that, um, you know, that I like to say, but I, I can't say. Um, but that's part of society, isn't it? You know, if you get, you get ostracised, um, if you uh, look at uh, Lottie Akiri came out to his next player last week and said that um, here's a list of rugby league players that rugby should buy to make sure we win the Rugby World Cup. 
Um, you know, I, I, I find that very strange from a, a guy who we brought over to rugby, love rugby, still involved in rugby. Why should we have to go to another code to, you know, when we've got a system in place? We've got some fantastic young kids coming through who want to be, who want to play for their country, who want to be like their idols. So it is, yeah, it is, it is very sad. Um, and, you know, that's, that's why you've just got to shut up, unfortunately. There was one piece of genius, though, going back to 91 that came out of your mouth. You said England couldn't run the ball, David, and then they tried to and were exposed. So you class- it was a classic hoodwinking, wasn't it? They, they were boring, you said, and they opened up and they were, they were cut apart. Well, they were boring, but there's two funny stories. <laughs> but they, uh, they came out that year to Australia, and we beat them by 40, I think it was 40 to 15, absolutely flogged them. And they tried to run the ball. And they were the, tri- they were the um, triple count crown champions or the Five Nations champions. So in the World Cup, um, they tried to do it, but it wasn't working. And you could see if they had run it earlier in the tournament, they would have had a lot more confidence. Because that World Cup, I mean, it was, really, it was a defence um, mm. that really kept us alive. It wasn't our attack. Um, so, you know, that, that was part of it. But just a little story was in the, uh, the game against... Uh, I think it was Scotland, England, and I think the score was like 9-3. And we were, we were in Ireland before, the day before playing the All Blacks, and uh, we were watching this game, and after the game, uh, the commentators, oh, we've got a special presentation in the England dressing room. And uh, they went down, there's Will Carlin, who was the captain, had the ball, and he threw the ball to Rory Underwood, who was a winger, and said, congratulations on, on your 50th test today. And I said to the players, I said, that's the first time you've seen the ball today. Because English wings don't get the ball. Yeah. They honestly don't get it. But in the final, he gets the ball in the first two seconds. He's gone, bloody hell, what's this? what do I do with this? They're just not used to it. So, yeah, it was part of the psychic. It was, it was a massive week, mate. It was a mentally draining week. And also, the other thing was, they, I didn't realise, but they'd sent journals out to Queanbeyan. I went to see my mum to find out who my ex-girlfriends were, trying to be admitted to, you know, typical English journalists. We're talking to David Campisi on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Rugby great David Campisi has been our guest today. The, the game, the way it's played today, David, you've touched on it a few times in our chat about how it's changed over the years, like any sport, I suppose, but... The flair in the game, is it's all about size and power and control now. Do you lament the fact that the game-breaking flair seems to have been taken out of it? Yeah, I think what happened was the, uh, the problem was that they, um, you know, the Kiwis dominated for many years and uh, after World Cups, everybody wants to follow the leader and, um, and it's become very structured. There's a lot of pods, they call them, people playing, they have to run to a certain position. You know, we played a style of rugby, which was Australian, which was a run-in style of rugby. You know, Bob DeWire uh, brought in, Alan Jones had as well, uh, back to Bob DeWire. And we had the talent. We had the guys who had so much flair, the Horans, Bar Joneses, you know, Roger Gould, the Ellers. Mm. You know, we played a style of rugby that everyone was envious. Now we seem to be, follow like everyone else. 
and it doesn't really suit our style. The French have tried it for years. Now, they're, they're, the World Cup's in France next year, but they're playing a style of rugby that everyone wants to play because it's exciting. One thing in Australia that what we did very well when we had the up against Aussie rules and rugby league was we actually entertained people. It was different. People wanted to see, geez, that was good this week. Let's go next week. You know, that was what people wanted. You know, I lived in Sydney. When I went to Sydney in 86, 87, I drove around Sydney. Every kid had a rugby league jersey. So after the World Cup 91, I drove around Sydney. Every kid had a rugby union jersey because of what we did and how, how, how exciting it was. And all the kids knew who we were. It was on free-to-wear TV and all that. So, I mean, that's, that's what we need and that's what we're missing. And unfortunately, you can still see today, you know, it's very, very frustrating. Um, you know, Stan and Channel 9 are trying their best. But, um, you know, then you've got uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you watch uh, free-to-wear TV, you've got Aussie rules, you've got rugby league on. Yeah. You know, we, you know, I don't understand. You know, I just don't understand how we've got international sport, but yet these other local sports dominate because they've got so much money, so much to do. We, you know, we are an international sport, but we, we, we have to entertain. And the only way to do it is you've got to play a style of rugby that people want to watch and come and play. So when you look at the Wallabies now, do you think that they've just lost their identity in that regard? I don't think they've lost their identity. I think the Wallabies has always been there. Um, I just think sometimes, um, you know, we've, we've probably not backed ourselves as coaches. You know, we won two Rugby World Cups before anyone else in the world. 91, 99. Even the All Blacks, they won their 87. I don't think they won until 2011. You know, so we were dominant yeah. and we had Australian coaches. You know, that's the frustrating thing for me is that we've got some great talent. You know, you've got the World Cup in 27. You've got all these young kids playing, all these people playing grassroots around Australia, parents who give their time because they love the game. And then, you know, you, you, you see things like, you know, we, we want to get league players. I just don't understand what we're trying to achieve here, you know. Just, just on league, now that you mention it, how many offers did you get from league clubs down the years, even when you were in your absolute prime representing Australia at rugby? Uh, probably about uh, probably three or four. Um, I think uh, there was the Raiders, there was Canterbury, there was Parramatta, mm. uh, I think there was St George, uh, and St Helens in, um, in England as well. So, yeah, I was always there, but I just, I just I've been through the league, mate, and I think that sort of haunts me what happened to me back then. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what keeps you busy now? What interests you, David? I think I was reading when you were in Italy, that might have been when you developed a, a passion for cars or, or at least for driving them fast. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yes, that was a bit of a problem. <laughs> you can't do it now. You can't go over 60. You know, sorry. Uh, yeah, mate, I, um, what I do now is obviously I, I lived in South Africa for 10 years. I was coaching the Natal Sharks uh, Super Rugby Team, uh, 2005 to 2007. Uh, married my wife Lara, who was a Zimbabwean. Yep. Uh, met in Durban. Uh, we lived there until 2018. Uh, came back to Australia, did some coaching, and now um, are the ambassador for Newcastle Hunter Wildfires, which is in the Sydney Shoot Shield competition. Uh, haven't been in the competition since uh, 1999. Um, so yeah, so I'm coaching kids, coaching the Colts, helping out, being supportive, and yeah, just uh, involved with rugby. Uh, trying my hardest, mate, to pass on some knowledge and, you know, um, some, 
some stories about uh, you know about playing the rugby and travelling the world. Now that's great, and that is great to hear. But just the cars. <laughs> Sorry to take you back. Yes, have you right. still have you still got an interest in them? You still get behind the wheel of some some nice ones? Yeah, when I was with BMW, I used to do the uh, performance driving. Uh, I got a a M M three R, which was a racing car back in the day, and there's only fifteen in Australia. And as I said, my number was number 11. And yep. to get to a set of lights back in those days, and every guy in the, in the Hoon car thought that they can just, you know, drag you off. So off we went. Uh, I did go over the bridge at uh, Harbour Bridge about 150 k's one day. I won't tell him on that. I was going to raise that with you, actually. I thought it might have been 180, but you've dialed it down a bit. Was it I 150? Was. No, well, I just thought that might be in trouble. You took 30 <laughs> off. Oh, uh, you know, getting older. And not to embarrass you, but how often do people stop you and recognise you? And what's the, what is the, the, the typical fan? What is the first thing they, they typically want to talk about? Uh, just um, either goose death or yeah. just, uh, they all come tampo anyway. So, yeah, so it just it depends. You know, but uh, let's talk about, I was at the train station um, in Cardiff, which is outside Newcastle, and the guy said, are you such and such? I said, no. I said, uh, I had my name in my shirt. I said, oh, it's Campo, it's you. Oh, what are you up to? How are you going? So, yeah. So, it's, uh, yeah, so it's quite interesting. I just saw a guy there who's on, on uh, Jetstar, and I see him all the time. Oh, how are you going? Good, you know. Yeah, I, I, but I, I get probably recognised overseas more. That's where that's where all my, most of my speaking and and functions are over there. It's a bit hard in Australia these days because you've got so many different sportsmen yeah. who are, you know, totally different, you know, um, available to speak. And, you know, I mean, I've got a story. I mean, from my background, not finishing school, you know, travelling the world um, and then meeting guys like Bellasconi, uh, meeting the Queen, you know, the people you meet, the friendships you made. I mean, it's been an absolutely fantastic life. And obviously, you know, meeting my wife has been very supportive. And just you know, getting our kids to play as many sports as possible. Yeah, it's a great philosophy that one. What what a ride, what a life, David. Thanks so much for joining us today. You are absolutely revered, not only for what you achieved on the rugby field individually and collectively, but also for the way you graced it—speed, agility, you know, a roll the dice mentality—and it made you must watch each and every time you pulled the boots on. It's a great legacy. Well done on everything you achieved, and, and thanks a lot for joining us. Mate, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online and find them, tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.